0: Inappropriate Earl is. Uh, we're doing a simulcast on Instagram Live, so uh, like you guys know, I'll show you the the setup right here. Uh, I'm a one man operation. I'm a real foot soldier in the podcasting world. We're gonna get right into it. My guest today is the lovely and talented Kelly Kirsten, who is someone I don't know really. I know, but I feel like I know her. Yeah. Uh, which is one of the, I'm going to do a little silhouette here to sit down. Uh, That's one of the things in comedy is you can do it for as long as we've done it and not know each other. Yeah. Just because of, uh, I think when I got to the comedy store, you were just kind of not leaving it, but uh, moving on. Totally. So we, you know, and that's my primary uh, base of operation.
1: Oh, it was mine for the longest time. Right. It was oh, completely.
0: When did you? Uh, how did you start up there?
1: Um, well, I technically started at the store in '96 when I first moved to LA, and I was um, doing the open mic, and then I got hired at the cover booth. I was, <laughs> I was working the cover booth in '96 and doing the potluck and. Doing the Laugh Factory line, you know, does Jamie still do that line?
0: Uh, you know, I I drive by that every Tuesday at like three p.m. and I see those people and I just feel like yelling, "Don't!" (laughs) Like it's just so. uh...
1: It's soul sucking. Yes, it is. I did it for a year and a half because I'd come out here. I started stand up in New York, and I did it there for three years after I graduated um, NYU Mm -hmm. out there, and then. Came here in 96 and waited on the line at the factory, did potluck at the store. Um, Jamie was the first one to pass me, actually. It took him a year and a half of going up on that stupid Tuesday night before he finally said yes.
0: With Harvey on the side, Mike. Uh, oh, God, i have ol- forgotten about him. The old, Harvey, for those of you who've never been to the Laugh Factory open mic, which I hope is all of you. Uh <laughs> It was the uh, kind of the Jeff Scott of the uh, yeah. Laugh Factory, and he would uh, play you off if you swore uh, or if you uh, ran over your time. Uh, so yeah. he's kind of an iconic figure to uh, newer comics yeah. out here. Yeah. Um, so, so you get past the fact because Jamie's—he's so, a strange guy.
1: Oh, he's super strange, and you know, he—he he would always say to me like. Listen, nobody gets you, sweetie. <laughs> but I get you. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And so he uh signed me as a client. That was when he was doing management. And he had, you know, me, Courtney Cronin, which is how we first technically met, you know, the other night at her show. And then um, like Aisha Tyler, Harlan Williams, and so I was kind of brought into that stable. I'd showcased for Mitzi twice and she said she hadn't past me um,
0: and what's her because her feedback was uh, dramatically different than Jamie's she was a little more uh, <laughs> aggressive and like either you're good enough or you're not good enough yeah in her eyes
1: right no that was basically it it was just a just a no it wasn't even really a feedback it was sort of like you you'd showcase and then you'd walk past her in the OR and you either got called over or not you know and so I kind of gave up on the store after that was working at the factory for a little while. Um, and then uh, Freddie Soto called me up one day. Do you remember Freddie Soto? Did you ever know Freddie? Oh, Freddy? he's a uh,
0: legendary, yeah. Uh, yeah. gone uh, to, he, he, it's hard to explain who Freddie was to kids today. Yeah. Uh, I guess you'd say he was like uh, the, the George Lopez before George Lopez, yeah, he was, uh,
1: but smarter and, you know, more friendly i think i mean i don't know george lopez at all so i can't really speak right. to that but
0: but he was set to be huge absolutely uh, he would
1: just gotten that movie with adam sandler and spanglish and then he passed away but long before he passed away his uh girlfriend at the time who became his wife was starting a thing at the store with mitzi doing girls of the comedy store Was that princess cory yes exactly exactly so princess Corey was manager at the club at the time or something doing something with mitzi and freddie called me that was back when you had to call people you couldn't text because it didn't exist freddie called me and he's like you've got to showcase for mitzi she's passing women now and i said no i'm not going to showcase she says no to me every time and he says you got to do it uh she wants more women now you've got to get in at the store she's showcasing in la jolla and you get ten minutes instead of three. He's like, "You got to do it." I'm like, "All right, I'll do it." And I drove down to La Jolla, and at that point, I I think it's because I hadn't I didn't care because I didn't need it, you know, because I had the factory already. So I went up and just, uh, you know, how La Jolla. If you played La Jolla, I'm sure
0: it's uh it's a beach crowd. Ri- yeah. I, I would say uh, upper crust. Ri- I hate to like bring a race into it, but rich white people. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, it am is, I wrong? It is
1: true. It is true, but they—they're really, um, they, you know, and they—they—they they like to drink, you know. So they're—they're they're there to have a good time. They're not as I'd say not judgy as the Hollywood store, but they're—they're they're a little looser. And so I just went up and just killed, just crushed. And then I didn't even wait to see if she was gonna call me over. I just walked right past her. And uh, Duncan called me. The following day, he said Mitzi wants you to start calling him for spots. So that was '99, summer of '99, and uh, yeah. Then I started getting spots pretty regularly, and it was so funny. I was listening to your your podcast with Tommy. Wow. And uh, just all those memories. Yeah, he, I liked how somebody wrote in the comments that how he kept doing Mitzi's voice as Mitzi, as if she were his ventriloquist dummy. It really felt like that
0: i mean <laughs> i rarely promote this podcast which is why it's probably not in the top twelve thousand. but uh anytime someone says because we're almost at 300 episodes name one episode to listen to that's the one uh just because i think it's a and not because of me it's 100 percent because well, I he went them. in
1: guns blazing i mean he just was like <sighs>
0: I mean, even Chris D'Elia was like, dude, I don't listen to anyone's podcast. That was amazing. No, I know. Uh, And Joe Rogan even said, it, dude, I don't listen. (laughs) You know, Joe, I don't imagine Joe sitting around watching uh, or listening to other people's podcasts. Yeah, exactly. He's kind of busy. Because Tommy was, uh... I mean, I still don't understand him. Uh, yeah.
1: Now, you guys, did you guys have a beef or something? Was that what it was? Or
0: Well, you'd think we would have gotten along because we're around the same age. I think I'm a little younger than him, uh, but not by much. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're both 80s freaks. And, you know, we would have these great uh, uh, conversations about, like, David Lee Roth. Yeah. <laughs> you know, C. You, DeVille from right. Poison. Yeah, but uh, he just said, I, I don't know if he thought I wasn't funny or... Uh, you know, he just seemed to enjoy antagonizing me. Like, oh, come hang out, like hang out. Like, what? What am I, Boon Shakalaka? <laughs> like, <laughs> like you know, if you don't think I'm funny, just tell me. Like, I'm. then I'll go to the Laugh Factory. or So, uh, and he did that with a lot of people.
1: So now, by the time uh, you came to the store, with you said what? 2010?
0: I mean, well, I I went. It's funny and. I went up there around 2000. Dave Tyree. Oh,
1: Dave Tyree. Wow. Yeah.
0: Who sold me uh, jokes. You, you know, at the time, I didn't really know how it worked. So you I thought. Did? No kidding. And they were stolen Dave jokes. Tyree.
1: Oh, I can imagine they were.
0: Because I, and I still have them. <laughs> oh, God. I'd I saved that. the three sheets. And at the time, I thought, oh, these are great how jokes.
1: How much did he charge you?
0: I'm going to be completely honest with you $3,000. But I knew nothing about comedy. I certainly wasn't qualified, and some may argue that I'm still not to write my own jokes. So I thought, oh, I'll just, I'll pay someone really funny, and uh, uh, you know, like some of the jokes he wrote me were, uh, I just bought a five thousand dollar liquor cabinet. I don't even drink, it, you know.
1: I, that was a
0: joke. <laughs> I mean, uh, and then uh, he gave me a joke about. Uh, You know, I feel a little weird saying this joke in front of you because, you know, I don't want you to think I'm a pig. But he's like, I I fingered my girlfriend, uh, and her vagina is so big, I felt like I was feeding a horse crackers. Uh, Okay, but I've heard that joke. Sure. Uh, Later on, I was like, wait a minute, that's the joke Dave Tyree sold me. Uh, Oh yeah,
1: no, you don't have to worry about offending me. That was kind of my whole my act was kind of very blue and yeah, I was kind of like the raunchy feminist who is like one of the guys. That was and did Mitzi like trick. that? She did. Yeah. Yeah, she really did. I mean, Mitzi took great care of me. I was always really intimidated by her. I never spoke to her that much, you know, which is funny to think because I was at least a foot taller than her, but she'd walk by like this little ghost right. across the, the, the bar. And uh, so, I yeah, I never really spoke to her that much. Um, but she, and that was one thing I liked that Tommy said was how it was an artist community because I really felt that it was for me at right. that time, it, the store was really the thing that saved me in L.A. You know, I was a girl raised on a farm, just kind of come out here. You know, well, I went to New York first, but then here just kind of struggling, making it from nothing. And to to be accepted there was and to be given spots and nurtured and to have basically a home there to work out and La Jolla which paid pretty well to to be able to do, to help me kind of get by and just to feel like you belonged in a place for, I think someone in Hollywood, which is, it can be so lonely here. You know, I think that was super, um, it was, I'll I'll always be grateful to the store for that because yeah, those are just some of the best times of my life, you know?
0: But that was kind of a weird, uh, the early two thousands. Uh, you know, I think people, when they hear the comedy store, they, you go up there now and even on a Wednesday night, it's sold out. And, it's so
1: different now. Uh, yeah.
0: It wasn't like that it back wasn't. then. Like mm-hmm. it was, uh, cause I remember the first time I went up there, Brody Stevens was hosting oh. and, uh, I've told this story many a time, but, uh, kid was on stage and he was bombing pretty badly and uh yeah happened you know oh yeah i I mean in the or in the early 2000s everybody uh and uh you could tell the kid knew and then he's kind of meekly walking off stage and brody and i i can't do a brody impression but he was like where are you from kid and the guy's like la jolla and brody was like well that drive just got a lot longer And I just remember seeing that going, I don't think I'm ready for this place. Yeah, Uh, if that
1: was your first exposure.
0: Yeah, I was like, I thought Brody was a dick. And now, of course, I loved him uh, and and still do. But uh, it was a dark, almost a misogynistic. Yeah, uh, it had that. Which was that weird to be a female in the alpha male world, that, even though it was owned by a woman. Right. I, I would say it wasn't exactly female friendly.
1: No, but I think that's when I came in what Mitzi was trying to change and she kind of brought a lot of new women in and I came in around the time there was Vicky Barblack and Shay Matash and Sean Polofsky, Cynthia Levin and Betsy Salkind and it was kind of the group of us You know, I'm sure there's more I'm, names I'm forgetting but that kind of had a camaraderie and um, even though we really couldn't we didn't have the same thing that guys have though I think that the, a lot of the advantages male comedians have is, is they they can help each other in ways that we really couldn't at the time, I think, just because we had to, even though we weren't competing with each other for spots, we kind of were, because a lot of shows would be like, there's only one woman on this show, or there's, you know, they're really, they kind of positioned, the, the market just positioned itself to where, there was only a certain amount of spots. And so it wasn't that we were in competition because I mean, they're some of my best friends and love them, but it was also like you could only do so much. And now it's wonderful to see Vicky's having so much success and she's able to bring a lot of these comedians with her and, you know, bring her up, bring them up with her. But we didn't have anything like that. Like the guys could get the bigger names to take them on the road right. and, you know, kind of help bring them up. And we kind of just had each other and, floundering and trying to find our way. So it was a little it was harder in that way. But I think, you know, a lot of the guys um liked me, appreciated me, I think, who knows. And so I never felt like a darkness and environment. I liked the darkness of it actually because it was such a change from the <laughs> laugh factory where I was told to work clean and and Jamie was always putting up these showcases and I would bomb. You know, it's like if I knew someone was watching, I would bomb, and I'd come off stage and be like, "What was that bullshit?" And I'd be like, bah. "I tried." And so once I got to the store, it was it was nice to have that freedom, and I could go up and do whatever. I could swear and be dirty and not have to feel judged, and and no one was watching, so it was like this freedom that uh, that allowed me to grow as an artist and a you know comedian. I thought. Right. it was fun I yeah just, i mean I had, I had so much fun
0: well that's why you know i i often you know a couple of years ago like maybe 2007 when i went back up there i go right, i gotta get in here at some point you know i'll, I'll deal with tommy's bullshit <laughs> uh you know I, I mean at one point i thought i want to get in here so bad i just want to buy him a whole bag of weed and stuff it in a new guitar and <laughs> and go hey but i couldn't get past like i just couldn't do that but i
1: now, did did uh, was Mitzi still showcasing people yeah. then, or how did that process well, change?
0: Well, I know, uh, I think around two thousand four ish, when Duncan was the talent coordinator still. Yeah. Um, I had done some room open mics, and I guess booked rooms with him, and he was like, "Hey, do you want to showcase at the store?" I'm like, "Oh my god!" And I'm glad I didn't because I certainly wasn't ready back then. But you know, of course, I was like, "Yeah," and. uh he said, I want to call you tomorrow with a, a showcase uh, time. And he calls me and goes, yeah, uh, Mitzi said she doesn't want to showcase a Kennedy. Because my aunt is Ethel Kennedy. Oh,
1: no kidding. Oh, yeah, that's right. Heard so
0: that. uh, I'm like, that, that's kind of a bizarre reason to not, like, so I, you know, I kind of got disheartened after that. And so I never even have met Mitzi. Oh, uh, really? You know, I saw her once in her seat. Right. Uh I boy, probably was at the tail end of when she was going up there, and Ari Shafir was next to her. And uh, you know, she mm-hmm. didn't look in the greatest health, no. so I was like, I don't want to meet her. Oh, yeah, it just like ruined my.
1: And so, you work there now, and, and that's all done through like, Adam, Adam? Mm-hmm.
0: yeah, because mm-hmm. I think Tommy was let go for his uh, let's just say, um, interesting accounting methods.
1: I heard about that,
0: <laughs> which is crazy that they didn't uh release him from his duties for other reasons. Right. Uh, you know, he was known for uh let's just say his interesting views on certain races. Uh, oh yeah, yeah,
1: you guys <laughs> talked about that.
0: Um but you know, he was smart enough where he passed enough uh minority comics where if anyone came and said he, you know, he's not maybe the fairest to African American comics you said, "Well, listen, I just passed Willie Hunter, mm. Jamar Neighbors, uh, and other uh, comics uh, who were black that you couldn't really, I guess, get rid of him for that. Uh, so
1: he had the power to pass people then at that well, by that point.
0: Yeah, I mean, he didn't. I, I want to say I've, I'm not exactly sure. I think when Duncan's career started taking off, mm. uh, you know, and and that's one of the many comics Joe Rogan has helped." Uh,
1: Yeah. Duncan, actually, I'd made a short film when I, um, because I started making short films around, yeah, before, um, because I first, my first writing job was on Hollywood Squares doing game show writing. And then when that ended, I started making short films and I found really quickly, I was writing them, but then men would direct them and men would produce them and kind of take over and try to, you know take away what I wanted to do with them so I started to learn taught myself how to not taught myself took a class took a um New York Film Academy thing and learned how to direct and do all that stuff and so Duncan was actually in I had a starring role in this film I made called Soccer Fan he was awesome and it was Joe's idea Joe said you should make a film about a guy who is a fan of little girl soccer but he's not a pedophile he just loves the sport and Duncan was so perfect for that role he was so great it was it was really
0: fun. Now, if you want to, oh, Duncan was oh, is, yeah. is still amazing, and uh, yeah, you know, so many comics. Oh, Joe, you know, I mean, you know, you go like we were talking. You go on Joe's podcast, and like you, you just yeah, yeah, get elevated. Like you know, Joey Diaz,
1: right? Uh, Joe Diaz, God,
0: Tom Segura. Like, there's literally yeah. ten comics who owe their careers to Joe right Uh, for sure or at least a good portion of it uh but i think once he left to do stand-up full-time uh tommy took over uh, i want to say maybe uh oh five oh six and then uh you know his reign of uh his reign (laughs) of terror (laughs) but you know a lot of people love him to this day because you know uh he just you know he wouldn't really showcase people he would just say you're past.
1: No kidding.
0: Uh how would
1: he do how would he see you? Uh
0: well he you know that was another weird thing uh you, you know his methods you know like Adams methods are so like uh methodical and you know it's like a four or five step process of uh you know you do potluck. Okay. And then you get elevated to friends and family and then you get uh from that you do uh you get development spots, huh. uh, and then you, uh, eventually at some point will showcase in front of a live audience. Wow. Uh, and then, you know, you either are past or, you know, re showcase. Uh, so I think people know, uh, that, you know what the process is.
1: It's clear. That's You're pretty, right. Yeah. That's,
0: uh, you I know, as with Tommy, the I've ever heard. Yeah. I mean, with <laughs> yeah. Tommy, it was just like, uh, You know, you'd see people like open micers who were just all of a sudden getting spots going on after Sebastian or whoever. And it's like, oh, are they passed? Oh, I guess they are. Uh, Wow. So That's, uh, yeah.
1: I could see how that would bother people.
0: Well, I think he seemed to um, enjoy getting the ring kissed, which I get. Yeah, and wielding Uh, the power. I mean, what a uh, powerful position uh, Mm -hmm. to be in. Uh, i'm sure jamie the same way and and...
1: yeah jamie used to hold court i don't know that he still does but it used to be that you'd you'd do your set at that uh open mic and then you'd wait in line upstairs Upstairs, and he would have that table sit out he'd sit there like the godfather and give you a critique on your act
0: yeah i mean (sighs) uh i I showcased for him once and uh it was the most bizarre uh, yeah it's that exact that exact uh scenario where you go upstairs you're waiting in line like you're in a soup kitchen and uh, i I sit down and uh i do a relatively good impression of him he's like buddy buddy i I love the uh, monotone delivery you'd be big star you come back in two weeks and showcase i make you paid regular so i come back in two weeks i did even better than i did the night before or that night uh then i'm thinking i'm in this is i'm i'm finally fuck the comedy store i'm in here yeah do the whole wait in line again upstairs before my ass even hit the chair he just looks at me and goes you don't do it for me i'm like wait a minute like two weeks ago you said i was the next norm mcdonald uh which i will never be but uh so then i just that's when i gave up there so uh, so
1: did you have to wait in line to get that showcase did you have to you didn't have to do the line no
0: no i just it. uh he just told me to, come, to back come back and uh you know this is when uh and i know this is really obscure to drop some of these names but uh kelly crabby who used to be the manager at the improv okay. uh, she was helping jamie run it and she vouched for me and okay. uh and then uh you know cuz her boyfriend at the time Ted he he was did like a guitar thing he was a regular at the factory so okay. uh but then uh I, I don't think i've ever really been back since
1: yeah i did that uh, process for yeah a year and a half i didn't have anyone to vouch for me at that point i mean i had started in new york like i said and,
0: and like where did you perform there like uh the, 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 the Boston, cellar? the
1: seller and- yeah yeah i had I got to know all of those guys who went on to be enormously famous before they were enormously famous um, in New York, like Chappelle and, and Mark Maron and Jeff Ross and all those guys. And so, I, and they once I finally passed at the factory, and they were coming out here to do things too, as as they would. They remembered me and, and stuff like that. So, <laughs> taking my picture. Awesome.
0: Yes, I uh, am.
1: All right. Yeah, one of my favorite stories about that is one night um, in, I think it was the winter of 94. I started stand-up in 93, and the winter of 94, it was so cold, like bitter, blizzard cold. And uh, I decided I wanted to, because I would go to the club, I'd go to either Boston or the cellar, wait and try to get on late night, which you could do if, you know, There was time or whatever. And so I showed up to Boston, and there was no audience there. And uh, this guy, Stu Kamens, at the time was like, oh, there's not a show, you know, but you can come in. They're probably not going to have a show. We're not probably not going to have a show. No audience is going to show up. So one by one, all the comics started trickling in, and everyone just figured they would wait. You know, and it was Chappelle, and it was Mark Maron, and Jeff Ross, and all these guys were sitting there like, waiting and finally chappelle just jumps on stage he's like fuck it let's do a show for ourselves and so he lights a joint starts (laughs) passing it around the room and he starts telling this story about aliens uh i don't remember what it was because i started to get high at that point too (laughs) and uh i'd never because i'd seen him go up before i'd seen them all And I hadn't really gotten it. And I know he was kind of the one, everyone was like, he's the one to watch. He's going to be the next big thing. This was before, way before anything. I remember just being like, I don't, I don't get it. I just find him. He goes up there and he doesn't seem to care if the crowd isn't laughing. It it didn't connect with me. And then I remember sitting there and he was just, he had the story that had these through lines and just bits and callbacks. And he was doing it for just us. Like he'd probably rehearsed it before, but it, Seemed as if he was making it up on the spot. So you think of like this young comic, you know, me looking at him. I think he's like younger than me or maybe the same age, just watching him. And I was so in awe of that. And like, God, that was impressive. And we're all just dying laughing and everybody was, you know, and then he finally, you know, opened it up and other people wanted to go up and and the other guys went up. um, But nobody could really kind of touch what he just did. It was brilliant. And then I was like, okay, I get it. Now I see this guy is going to be enormously famous, and of course he was. Is oh oh my god, it it was just. And that's probably one of my biggest regrets because in the end they came around to me, and by that point I'd been smoking, and you know I wasn't in any emotional state, and I think I was just intimidated, and I I passed. I said no, I'm not going to go up, and I just didn't want to. I guess put myself up there in front of everyone that had just, you know, that had already been established and things. But I always remember that night and how it was like just comics going up for each other and how I you know, really felt like this is what I want to be doing.
0: So, I mean, that's quite a group of peers. I to, mean, right. To, uh, I don't think I would have gone up either. Uh, uh,
1: yeah, exactly. And that was, this was even, you know, way before, you know, Mark Marin's podcast and Jeff Ross with the, you know, the roasts and all that. It was way before any of them were hugely famous, but they were still so good and you could tell they were going to be, you know,
0: Oh, I mean that's, uh, and you get a little bit of uh, sense of that still today when Chappelle will show up at one in the morning, yeah, one thirty, and he'll wait for everyone to go on, and then he'll do like two hours, at, right. at, at, like you know, two, you know, he'll leave at like sometimes it's late as almost four in the morning. Oh and, my god! And the crowd loves it. Like yeah, just, I'm sure. It's like they're just there watching this you know, maybe 20 people in the room and because and, they won't let anyone else in the room. You know, one person tweets or messages their friend and you see a line at th- 3 in the morning at the comedy store. they like, why are they out? Uh, and they're trying to get in to see, like, it's so neat to watch him in front of, like, 20 people.
1: Oh, so he doesn't want any other.
0: Well, no, they just. I don't think the comedy store wants to, people you know, to be yeah. letting people in at three in the That's morning. That's true. That's a good point.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the way staff wouldn't really like that.
0: Yeah, because and... they can't really serve uh, any uh, refreshments. No. Uh, so they're like, well, uh, we'll just watch them too. Uh, yeah. And then he'll open it up to questions. And
1: uh, it's a very, I think, his, as opposed to like Eddie Griffin doing that. It's it's just a very like generous kind of energy where it's right. not just about him ex- just talking and hearing himself talk. It's right. more about him exploring an idea he had. And like you said, opening it up to, to whatever comes out and how, what comes from that. And I think that's part of what makes him so brilliant.
0: I mean, one night I asked him, uh, you know, just yelled out, do you have any good Charlie Barnett stories? Cause Charlie Barnett is, uh, you know his that was Chappelle's mentor yeah. you know in the New York you know he would like play that park
1: right and like
0: people would just he was the only comic i guess he would sell out the park and uh you know it's a, he uh was up for Saturday night live and he went through all the auditions mm. and he he couldn't read so in his last audition where he knew he had to read off of cue cards he he didn't go and then Eddie Murphy got it oh but, uh, man so to see Chappelle's, like, eyes light up, the, you know, here's the biggest comic in the world and plays stadiums, basically. And, you know, as soon as I said Charlie Barnett to him, like, you know, he was like a little kid. like, Right, oh, that was... Oh, his... that's the guy I liked. Yeah. So... Uh,
1: Who was yours? Who was, like, your inspiration to...
0: Archie Bunker. No kidding. <laughs> Not for what he was saying. Of course, uh, no.
1: Carol O'Connor, brilliant actor.
0: But, oh, my God. But it just... I. Remember, as a kid, just going—he's saying some pretty uh, divisive things, even for the '70s. But you still loved him. Like I loved how, he, even though he, I guess he was a racist and a yeah, a, a homophobe, and uh, you know everything else you could name that's not good, you still liked him. But because
1: like. he, he always um, allowed himself room to accept. Uh, differences, you know, yeah. in, in that, uh, in in the way that Edith, you know, would kind of, uh, you know, bring not him manipulate back. him and bring him back around and ground, <laughs> you know what I mean? And his daughter and Meathead. And I think, yeah, absolutely. I think he wasn't the kind of homophobic racist that this is how I believe and this is how I'm always going to believe. There was right. always a little bit of a spark. And then he would make a joke and you'd realize, well, he's still the same old Archie, but it was always like, he kind of always left, I think, room for that possibility of growth
0: yeah, I that mean, I, I think I,
1: was hopeful about that show.
0: Cause I try and like, uh, do comedy. That's, you know, like I'll, I'll do a joke about and say Michael Jackson, which is, you know, uh, is what it is. Uh, but I'll try and be likable about it. Like I just liked how you kind of liked Archie Bunker, even though he was saying some horrible things sure. uh, and like, you know, Don Rickles, uh, you know, Foster Brooks, I just loved him on the roast. Uh, uh, just how they were all saying, like, you look at some of the clips of Don Rickles from the roast. Yeah, and classic. Uh, you know, once again, saying some pretty uh, kooky things to, like, Wilt Chamberlain and, like, <laughs> um, you know, Sammy Davis. And right. Nip- poor Nipsey Russell was the brunt of every racial joke. Uh, but the, you could tell they loved each other. Like, and I just try and, you know, do humor like that, and uh,
1: and so it took you a long time to go from you'd always loved it, and then to go into doing it yourself.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I from like say two thousand to two thousand nine, I uh, just I said, well, I, the store is just too wacky for me, and uh, I don't really vibe with Tommy because you uh, still lived here. Yeah, and I, I'm you've... born and raised. Gotcha. So I would do. Uh, open mics and book shows you know bar shows uh you know at like places like the bar and roadhouse i mean it was, these were not really the greatest comedy environments but you know i had no tv credits at the time so you can't get in at the clubs no uh but then uh, i think a mutual friend of ours uh jeff richards uh, yes uh one night was feeling sick and uh he said, do you want to open for Rob Schneider? At, oh, yeah, uh, that's right, you guys. I think it was, it's called the West Side Theater now. It might have been, it's in Santa Monica. You know, it's on the promenade.
1: Okay. I Is think, it still going? Yeah,
0: I think it was, at that time it was called the West Side Eclectic.
1: Oh, right. Okay. That sounds familiar.
0: And so uh, that's when I started opening up for Rob Schneider in about 2009 and with Jeff. Right. And, and then... Uh, and then eventually, slowly started to warm my way into the comedy store. But even then, Tommy was still not very—you uh, know—I uh, could tell he was never going to pass me.
1: Yeah, because I remember. Well, I remember seeing your name on lineups. I think before I started to, I started to really wean out around 2010. Right. Um, my job shifted. I became, um, you know, producer at E News writing copy for Seacrest and the pressure started to get pretty intense, even though he's great and it was awesome to work for. I, I was also starting my first novel at the time. So I was working on prose and I was doing that. And so I started to kind of really pull back around them, but I do remember you're seeing your name and I, you know, I'd heard about you from Jeff, obviously Jeff's, I think the, was like, Oh, Earl read uh, the drunk girl script and loved it. I think that's remember the first mention I heard of your name. I'm like, okay, cool.
0: Yeah, Go I think uh, <laughs> that's the first time I ever heard your voice was on a uh, on
1: the conference call with Rob.
0: In a <laughs> hotel room, weather. I think. And you know, I don't know why I remember these, you know, details, but it was we were in Cincinnati, and you, Rob, and Jeff were in a conference call, and I just listened. You know, of oh, of course, I had nothing of input to bring to the table, so. Uh, Uh, you know why didn't that movie ever get made
1: Jeff fucking jumped off his balcony and broke both his arms
0: now we're talking about the you know if you are a fan of SNL uh Jeff Richards uh, had a great uh, character called drunk girl and uh Kelly was in charge of uh writing the potential movie
1: I did I wrote I, I mean he approached me to do it and I said no and then uh, he offered to pay me. I said, "Okay." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so,
0: money can change an yeah, attitude. That's,
1: that's a fact. And so, um, I uh, I wrote it really fast. We'd 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 meet, go over ideas, and then I'd just kind of pound it out, and I I got it done. I, then I I think I met with Rob at his house um, once in the middle of that, and for some reason rob was really set on having a character because i'd written it and the way i write still is very female driven very much um it was a mostly female cast with male supporting players and uh with maybe rob i think i might have he he might have been leaning toward playing the dad like drunk girl's dad right. and that was a main character and so anyway he was really set on me having a a, a bulimic character for some reason he thought that was hilarious and i'm like i don't not really sure how i'm gonna work that in but uh, you know you have to say yes and do that or whatever so yeah so then i wrote that and then when you heard that conference call that was the the redraft and then i had to based on those notes write one more draft and he gave me a kind of a deadline due date Of it was a monday that it was due that redraft because i think he was looking to produce it or get someone to produce it or whatever and then um yeah i finished it that friday um and I didn't tell Jeff because I didn't want him to bug me to send it then. Because whenever you write something, I don't know if you know, like if you do the same, you finish a script or something, you want it to marinate. You don't want it sure. to send it right away. You want to think about it and then look at it with fresh eyes. So I didn't tell him it was done. That Saturday is when he had his episode and he, you know, ended up in the hospital. And so of course that kind of right. killed that project. We've since gone back to that script and we've rewritten it. Not because I don't think that uh, it's really you can't really make a movie these days that's a man in drag playing woman anymore. It's it's a little bit, I don't know, tone deaf. It seems, I know Tyler Perry, maybe is still doing it, Medea, but I feel like it's kind of gone out of favor to do a man in drag as a woman when there's so many women actors who could play it. So we, we rewrote it as a, as a female, uh, who's kind of
0: an alcoholic,
1: an an alcoholic. Yes. Not necessarily, um, transgender, but she's, She's uncertain about her, right? Her sexuality or her who she is. She's gender and fluid, she's like gender uh, fluid exactly.
0: Uh, Billy D. Williams just came out and said he's gender fluid. Really? You know, I think at eighty years old, it's a little late in the game.
1: Hell, you know, it's never too late.
0: <laughs> well, no, Willie uh, Nelson you know what? just said he's uh, stopping smoking weed at eighty-six. It's probably just I'd ride it out.
1: Maybe uh, I probably I'm gonna start smoking cigarettes again at 86.
0: <laughs> but you see, like so many movies, uh, I could see that movie still getting made. You know, like you know when you see uh, some of the crap that's out there now, yeah. like. Uh, but you know, I guess is it weird? Like since it was an SNL character, like I know that Lauren Michaels has he
1: has the rights to it. Yeah, I think he'd have to figure that out and ask permission and all that. So, I mean, it's still one of those things that I have, I still have, you know, the, the script, but I'm, I'm working on other ones now and just kind of, it's always in the back pocket, but yeah, that's now that E news is over. I was at E news for, uh, 11 years and then they just, it just ended. So, okay. Yeah. And so now I'm kind of, well, now I'm seeing what comes next. It was funny because I feel like I was at the store for about 11 years and then now i was at you know that job for 11 years it's kind of like well now the next phase is set to begin so
0: i used to break up with girls at the six-year mark it was just like i don't know for some reason in my head it would yeah this is a good time to call it uh yeah uh you know I think
1: yeah i break up with jobs at 11 so
0: well that's a good run Uh, yeah
1: that is well my husband and i have been together 11 years so hopefully uh (laughs) what
0: now is he in the (laughs) entertainment business
1: he is yeah he's an actor mostly does voiceovers and uh um he did a voiceover um horror film with william shatner recently that was that's great i know it's kind of cool they're doing like the festival run
0: right now now who was on the i'm uh obsessed with uh, the hollywood squares just because it was oh. such a uh you know iconic show when i was a kid and you know goes back to one of my first comedy influences was paul lynn oh yeah just because and even at at the time i didn't know he was gay i just liked how sure he was so uh sarcastic absolutely
1: and, no i loved him too uh
0: but then i guess uh you know apparently he wasn't like the nicest guy in real life uh
1: I worked with uh, Bruce Valanche. Oh, he's... In those years. So. Oh, okay,
0: yeah. Who I still see uh, walking around this neighborhood. No kidding. Yeah, he's. Oh, I think God. I'm assuming he lives around here. Uh, yeah. You know, probably the the best Bruce Valanche story I have is I was on a date. We were sitting in the very back row to see Magic Mike, uh, and then he was in the front row. So there's three people in the theater. I guess Magic Mike. Uh, wasn't doing that well at the box office at the time and the movie ends we all walk out together and i was like oh that's bruce valanche hey bruce what'd you think of the movie and he's like get rid of those double d's and i'll show you mine and i was like oh i'm not uh not sure what to make of that so uh what what's it like writing like do you have to have a good chemistry with say someone like bruce valanche and the other like you know how did it uh, work when you were writing? Lines? I
1: really, I'd never worked with him in person. I believe he worked from home, and so you'd write just a ton of material. And I wrote the questions, and so there was question writers and joke writers. The questions also had to be funny, right? Because there were a lot of celebrities who couldn't deliver punchlines, and so they had to have comedic writers writing the questions and then comedic writers writing the jokes. And so you'd just, I'd submit them through him and you know, on our database and he'd see my rarely saw him in person only on shoot days. Right. And then, uh, so, so they, that, yeah, that was basically it. You know, who helped me uh, get that job was Bobby.
0: Bobby Bobby Lee. Lee?
1: Yeah. Cause Bobby and I used to work, uh, La Jolla all the time together. And this, I remember when I was up for that job, he was like, you're going to get this. And so I kind of had to put together a whole sample and, you know, he kind of went over the sample with me and helped me. And so, yeah.
0: I what, also- was it hard to like write for celebrities who aren't necessarily that funny? Like, uh, you know, I know that's a problem for some people like when they do the comedy central roast and it's like, you know, Caitlyn Jenner this year was right. like, you know, she was actually pretty funny. Mm. Uh, but like, how do you, How do you write when you're a great comic and you're writing for someone who has no probably sense of humor, funniness about them? Do you like how does that how does that work?
1: Well, it's like it's all in the setup, really. You know, you have to kind of have a funny setup and make the setup funny. I can't really think of an example, but it's you know the kind of questions we would write would have you know to do with it would always have like a sort of a, a double entendre still be clean right and it, it's definitely more of a challenge it's joke writing is a challenge as well but you'd have to I wish I could think of a good example
0: well like I know like uh, one of the series of questions that seemed to set Paul in up for like a a gay innuendo was uh, Peter Marshall going uh, Paul, how many balls are on a pool table exactly something like that
1: something like that exactly and then he so could
0: you- I think his answer was uh well it depends on how many guys are playing. <laughs> so,
1: you know. so it's basically like that, only you would just write the question and, and leave it up to the host to get the laugh, you know. Right. Yeah.
0: And Tom Bergeron was the host. Tom Bergeron of that, was uh, the host. But uh, what was mm-hmm. he uh he's a pretty funny guy.
1: Yeah, he is super nice too.
0: Um and then how how do you go about writing your own stand up? Like is, is it Like it's hard to write for other people. Is it, uh, you know? Like sometimes it's hard for me to write my own jokes because you know it's, you know, just hard. Like I
1: don't know. I think it was always. um, Like what's
0: your writing process? Like when you're writing for your own, uh, for yourself versus writing for someone else. I haven't
1: written stand up in a while, Um, but when I did, it would I kind of just. You have to just for me, put myself to the blank page, you know, just go to the blank page and whatever that means, even if you're sitting and staring at it, start with an idea and then kind of make lists Right. or, you know, kind of give yourself a setup, make lists of possible punchlines, you know, um, that's how I would do it, you know, and then you have to kind of, think about something, and then walk away from it, and then the idea will come to you when you're not trying to think about it, right? Like sure. creativity in the cracks kind of thing. Oh, for sure. So, yeah, you have to write it, go away, think about it, not think about it, and then it'll come to you.
0: Yeah. Is that how it is with scripts, too? Like, Yeah, for sure. So I would imagine that's much more, uh, you know, writing a, a joke is easy compared to, you know, a whole script.
1: Yeah, I tend to be like, there's a terminology they use, plotters or pantsers, meaning right. you plot, you write by the seat of your pants. I tend to be much more of a pantser, although I've been getting more into plotting, because I like to discover things as they go along. You really sure. can't um, plan everything, because if you know where it's going, the audience will know where it's going. Right. You know, you really have to let the story surprise you in order for it to surprise everyone else, I think. And so, yeah, I, I generally like to go in with a vague idea of where I'm going and then let the characters talk and then see where it goes from there and write just a shitty first draft. And then once you have your shitty first draft, go back and then outline and say, okay, here's the beats I have and here's some through lines I started and did I, did I follow this through? And so to me, it's a lot more exciting. Jokes, kind of, I think that's where I really stop doing stand up is my heart stopped being in it. Once I started writing uh, a novel and writing prose, it was that I just found it so much more exciting, you know, and and I wasn't writing jokes. And I think that's where it was sort of the beginning of the end for me in 2010, you know, I was writing for Seacrest and I was still going up and Tommy was still giving me spots. And I was only able to really call in for weekends at that point. Um, because I had to be up at seven in the morning and I had to be on every day. And, you know, I was having stress dreams that, that Seacrest would be standing behind me, you know, even though he was the nicest guy and, and it couldn't be, you know, cooler to work for. It was still like, I just freak out. And,
0: uh, Well, how many writers were like, were you the main writer for him?
1: I was one of two at, uh, first. Well, no, they're not at first, but at first there was one guy who was his main guy. And then when we, merged and became an hour, I kind of became the second in command to the other guy. And, and then Ryan left the show after about a year. But, um, so good for him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, I, uh, yeah. So then I was not really, um, writing any new jokes right? and I was only calling in for weekend spots and so I was still getting spots, but just doing the same act. And then Tommy started putting me on later, like after Rogan to probably try to force me to to know right. to really you can't do the same material at nine forty five that you can do it that you have to do following joe and uh so yeah, then one weekend, I didn't get a spot, and I'm like, oh, that's interesting and then I just kind of the next weekend or two, I didn't call in for a spot right and then it was it was more of just a it wasn't like a um fuck you i'm out kind of thing it was just a like a gradual relationship that was ready to be over right you know until then one day i just was like okay i, I think i'm i didn't even know if i even remember when i was done but it was just it just sort of kind of mutually ended and then i evolved onto other stuff so
0: like when's the last time you've done stand up
1: I did it not that long ago, actually. Jeff was doing a couple of shows. Jeff Ross? Jeff Richards. Oh, okay. And uh, so he brought me out to, um, what's that place in Long Beach, Harvells or whatever. So I went, Oh, yeah. yeah. I did a couple of sets there. So, yeah, just to kind of dust off the cobwebs and uh, see how it went. And, and you go, wow, it really is so hard. And you really have to do it all the time to stay good at it.
0: Oh yeah it I mean really you
1: really have to keep that muscle sharp it's like you can't just put your you know ballet shoes back on and go back out there you really have to like oh yeah out first
0: I mean you know I find if I take more than a few days off yeah. I'm uh, I struggle uh, just because it's you know most of the crowds are pretty younger these days and mm,
1: I have imagined it's got to be so much harder now like that guy I saw in that show you did the other night who oh. was kind of railing against how pc everything is it's like dude railing against it isn't going to make it change you know so i have to imagine you have to have this uh, i don't know it's just a different approach that you have to have nowadays right because people what, are easily offended
0: what's a weird time uh you know with uh you know the mainstream culture and you know the you know, me too. And times, yeah. which obviously is a great movement, sure. uh, but uh, you know, in terms of doing jokes, uh, it, it does seem that people are offended uh, more, and you're gonna kind of tiptoe around. Uh, Unless you're Joey Diaz and you just say "fuck <laughs> just, it, yeah, uh, suck it," this is me. Uh, <laughs> Joe w- Diaz. Oh, he's like he's he like watching hilarious. Metallica. Like <laughs> I'm sure. it's just like a wall of energy hits <laughs> you, and you're like, "All right, this guy doesn't care." <laughs> One uh,
1: time, I was opening for Joe in La Jolla, and uh, I was driving us back to the comics condo, and I think he was high or whatever he was doing, and he was so paranoid. We were going to get pulled over. I think maybe he had something on him or something. I don't know. So we're driving my little red car, and he's looking behind us. He's like, Telly Hurston, slow down. You're going to get pulled over. And I'm like, Joe, I'm going... 27 in a 25. If I go any slower, they're <laughs> going to get suspicious. And he's yelling at me the whole way. And finally, I just had to be like, look, Joe, I'm a white girl in a little red car. No one's pulling me over mm. in La Jolla. It's yeah. fine. Relax.
0: I uh, don't even <laughs> think they have cops in La Jolla. I,
1: they do. They do. I remember getting pulled over one time um, on the way where someone else was driving. But uh, they do definitely patrolling that one main street. Right. So...
0: I was, he was just so
1: paranoid. It was hilarious.
0: Surprised at how early that shuts down, like, because it's really only the comedy store there is the only semi late night activity there, uh, right? Uh, so, uh, I'm sorry about that. I, I'm all Apple products. I still to this day don't know how to turn off things where they don't buzz. What
1: did? what is that one?
0: Mean? That was the phone. Oh. No, that was just someone texting me. Like I said, Kelly, this is a one man show. That's nice. I mean, it's the little podcast that could.
1: I'm really glad to get a chance to chat with you. I mean, I feel like it's a whole, we've, like I said, crossed different paths, but the same path.
0: Well, I'd already, or I always saw your name on lineups, and yeah. your picture is still in the front hallway of the is store. It, so I see it oh, every. Oh, good. Like,
1: that's a hot shot. I wish I still looked. You've like got, the I got the
0: bangs and the blonde hair. My God. I think you're right next to Angel Salazar.
1: Awesome.
0: So. Someone must really want to get a hold of. Maybe it's Rogan. You know uh, what? That'd be great. It would be. I would take. Uh, you know, I would take that call. Uh, Absolutely. Um,
1: I, lo- I loved hanging out with. Yeah, Joe. He did a short film with me one time. Um, when I was doing shorts, I I'd written a little uh, thing. It was kind of um, sort of this feminist piece.
0: I'm gonna get that. Keep get talking.
1: And uh, I asked I asked Joe if he would do a part in it as the abusive ex-boyfriend in flashbacks. And he's like, yeah, sure. Uh, Come up to the house and shoot it. And uh, so we went up to his house, and he was so hilarious. Oh, he's great. Amazing. He just, like, nailed it right away. This crew was hilarious. I had they didn't believe me that we were going to Joe Rogan's house. I'm like, no, he really he, I have his address. We're going up there. <laughs> and so we went up there at Calabasas. He opened the door with his shirt off. It was kind of random. We're like, okay,
0: he's and, got a great party. Yeah,
1: so yeah, you know, and uh, yeah, he just did the scene and he had a great time and yeah, it's up on YouTube. People have watched it and stuff and,
0: yeah, where can people find, like, some of you... Do you have a lot of stuff on YouTube people I could check out? I just
1: have that one. It's, yeah, Kelly Kirsten channel on YouTube, you know, and... um
0: And Twitter and Instagram? I'm
1: Twitter, I'm uh, Kelly K. Geiger. Okay. I started going by my, like, real name now. So I'm still known as Kelly Kirsten, but I started going as Kelly Kurtzall's Geiger as my uh, kind of pen name for stuff I've published. So I've published short stories now, and I'm looking to publish... Uh, novel. I'm getting my master's degree right now too in oh, English. Yeah, so I'm writing my thesis, which will be a novel. And uh, so, yeah.
0: And where can people uh, check out these short stories? Are they like on a website or
1: uh, on my Twitter? I've got the, m- the most recent one I just published. It's okay. It's kind of a cute uh, sci-fi. I write sci-fi and stuff. So.
0: Oh wow. Mm-hmm. What got you into writing sci-fi?
1: Um. I mean, I hate to say it one night I was like getting high in the parking lot of the store with Roken and like, you know, if you ever like hang out with him. He gets very philosophical. Oh, it's sometime, way too deep for me. Super deep. But I loved it. Like, so we're just, he and I were hanging out there one time and, and it was just the two of us and looking up at the stars or whatever, we started getting all philosophical about how the universe is all connected and all this stuff. And. Um that night I had this dream that was so vivid it was about um 5 billion years from now and the earth is the sun is dying and then in the last explosion of the sun the earth has a big engine along the side of it and it blows it into uh motion toward a new star and I thought this is kind of like thinking about um perpetual evolution and so I just thought, this is a, this is my novel. So and I just started writing it, and I pitched it to every agent in New York, and they all said, too far-fetched. No one would ever believe an engine on the side of the earth would move the earth. And last, this year, actually, one of the biggest movies in China is called The Wandering Earth, and it's about an earth <laughs> moving with an engine Right. I should have pitched that fucker in China. I, you know what I mean? It's sort of like once you put an idea out there in the universe, I think the universe kind of collects it. I
0: believe in that. You know what I mean? Oh, sure.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah. I mean, it was kind of that. It was sort of like that dream. And I'd always loved sci-fi, but I'd never really thought of myself as writing sci-fi. And then I just, it just started. And I think um, it was that. I think because it was my first one, maybe the skill level right. wasn't there. That's why I started getting... master's degree in order to get better at writing prose and I think that feeds everything. So as a writer, um just yeah. I I mean that uh
0: sci-fi I'm fascinated by you know but I'm, I'm like to me sci-fi is Star Wars uh oh, of course you know but only the first three like I'm not down with no the,
1: not the whole Natalie Portman hidden
0: like yeah yeah I mean I love uh, you know the, well the first I, I George Lucas like track,
1: right Ugh.
0: I mean well the first three were like the middle three I love yes. how he did that like did ah, that it I'm gonna show the middle three first right? and then, uh but I just Star Wars, like Darth Vader, is like just the
1: best bad guy ever. Big time.
0: They Just and you know I'm a Chewbacca guy, but you know I don't know what they're doing now. Or just I don't I don't get the new Star Wars, Disney and J.J. You know, Abrams and yeah, who's obviously a, a great mind, but oh for sure. I just uh, I, don't I know. mean I just
1: I like more dystopian sci-fi though. You know I've always loved. Orwell and, right. and Huxley and, and that kind of stuff. I always, I really like uh, sci fi as social commentary. Right. And I think that's what sci fi can do in a way that other genres can't. You know, comedy can to certain res- degrees, but I think that sci fi can guys you know, subjugation as an alien story, you know, and it's sort of, it can have these themes throughout. But still be an entertaining story. And that's for oh, sure. me what I like about it. You know, like the story of the you know, the father son story or the right. uh, you know, that can it can all be disguised underneath, you know, with a not necessarily a message or a moral, but something a deeper meaning, you know, rather than just a fluffy entertainment thing. And I don't think there's enough female representation in sci fi that I've seen. You know, it's usually male driven stories. That's changing a lot. And I want to read more. That's kind of what I would like to read, and something sure. that I think is needed in the environment. And so, yeah, I think it's just a whole new time. So, well,
0: that gets me into something. Uh, it's it's definitely not sci-fi related, but uh, the new uh, Charlie's Angels movie. I haven't which, seen it. I mean, it was pretty bad. Yeah, uh, I heard it was bad. But the director Elizabeth Banks came out and blamed men for the movie not doing well right? because uh you know kind of along the lines of what you were saying most action movies are you know uh, are uh male you know i guess dominated storylines like terminators you know this unstoppable man uh, (laughs) fighting the little woman uh but i just found charlie's angels i don't care who it was written by it was just a bad movie i think that's
1: yeah i think that's what i've heard it wasn't It's not, I mean, maybe it is society's fault and maybe it isn't. There's, but there's a lot of also bad movies written about just men, and it isn't anyone's fault that they fail. It's except for execution, really, is the
0: right, you know. Well, I just found like, you know, this is going to come out incredibly wrong, but it's me talking, so (laughs) it shouldn't really surprise anyone. But like, you know, I grew up with the, uh, original charlie's angels and you, you know this was the 70s
1: Sure, so did i
0: so it was and i i'm gonna say it i i love women i i the many great works are written by women there's a lot of shitty things written by men but charlie's angels was essentially three whores in bikinis <laughs> exactly. fighting crime sure. uh, in a cartoonish Uh, method with you know of course the male dominated you know Charlie just sending his little vixens out to fight crime Uh, but what was
1: great about Charlie is that he was rarely seen and it (laughs) wasn't about him sure he was the boss I guess but he wasn't a dominating figure. He just gave them their assignment, angels. This was, yeah. You know what I mean? He was just a voice. And then there was Bosley. He was just the fool. Yeah. So it was really about them. Oh, God, my sister and friends and I, we'd play Charlie's Angels all the time. They were great female role models. Yeah. Absolutely. They always made me be Sabrina. And, you know, no one ever right. wanted to be Sabrina. And I'm like, why can't I be Kelly? My name is Kelly.
0: Right. You know? Well, I just like and I, maybe I shouldn't have called them three whores in bikinis, but like you know they use their sexuality to get in with the criminals. They and, sure did, yeah. Uh, you know this version of Charlie's Angels was like uh, I don't think you can make a feminist version of uh, a, a testosterone franchise. Uh, Is that was she tried to do and have it, I th- yeah. I mean that Kristen Stewart, who, who's a great actress, and uh, but you know i don't think you need great actresses in charlie's angels like you need like three hot babes right uh i
1: think she qualifies
0: oh she's beautiful sure. uh but i you know it's like uh with the newest terminator movie they, they tried to soften schwarzenegger's uh, uh i'm assuming if you haven't seen the movie by now you're not going to see it but uh
1: terminator, i haven't no
0: well, the newest one, they they kind of tried to make him into a loving husband, and he has a kid. And it's like Jesus Christ, this is the Terminator. Oh
1: God, you're kidding! That's like awful. Uh,
0: well, because Linda Hamilton comes back to this franchise, to right. this. Uh, yes,
1: I've seen that in the poster.
0: And she's great, but uh, you know, she goes halfway through the movie to meet, you know. Uh, the man who killed her son in the movie, uh, and it, he's like living in the woods with a wife and kids. It's like it's a robot, for God's sakes. He's like <laughs> that's so weird. Arnold Schwarzenegger, like yeah, that's a hard guy to soften the feminist the angle on. Uh, so I was just curious, you know, to get a female writer's uh, on
1: on those kind of on the. Films?
0: Uh, I mean, I don't think. Yeah, I just. Uh, I think if it was a standalone movie about three crime-fighting women, you know, maybe you might have a better uh, uh, chance at landing a a feminist action movie. Sure. Uh, uh,
1: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say because I'm still just—I'd say at the beginning of my career at this. Yeah, I'm kind of at the open mic level as uh, sure. You know. I'm starting over again, which is super humbling. You know, we were talking about that over text. We were talking about just the humility of doing something that you are new at and not necessarily that great at yet. Well, and, oh, sure. And so I think that's where I'm coming from and still just learning, but going at it with that angle and wanting to, um, yeah, explore that in a way that's successful. Um, I'm writing a thing now. It's this, uh, just about a failed superhero, not in a way like the that Ben Stiller movie from a while ago. You know, right. not, not goofy parody, but it's uh, just about a real superhero who um has a big flaw that gets in his way all the time. And it's a man character, but I've surrounded it with female characters, and it's um, but it's about different things and sure. it's, it's got that kind of and the reason I started it just learning about not to get all about my
0: please degree, do your thing
1: <laughs> but i'm like learning all this literary theory and i read this literary theorist jack halberstrom wrote about uh this book queer art of failure talks about how pixar movies often have uh hidden themes that you didn't really that you can't really do in other movies. Like, for example, Monsters, Inc. is basically an anti-capitalist, anti-corporation. Sure. You know, these two guys who are grunts in this corporation overthrow the corporation, you know, and how Chicken Run is kind of this feminist utopia narrative. So thinking of it that way, I thought, well, I'd like to write something that has these Kind of things in them, but they're just stories. They're just right. fun stories, but that they also have these underlying things going on with them. And so this one is, you know, it's got some things to say about what the news media puts out there. And having come from celebrity entertainment news that I've been doing for the last 11 years, basing it on that and thinking like that's what I like to see in sci fi. If it's grounded in something that means something to you or that you know something about or something you're passionate about, I think that's what makes it any writing sure successful it really has to be personal you really have to put yourself on the page and the same with jokes you really have to my act was really um it wasn't me but it was right you know it was a character that i was doing but it was also a lot of it was personal and true that you base on your real life and that's what people relate to even if they don't necessarily relate to it they relate to you relating to it
0: i guess oh absolutely i mean i do uh like i talk about my love of 80s music and yeah uh you know nowadays the crowds you know are in their early 20s or mid 20s uh, they don't know who the band rat is sure. uh but they still laugh at the jokes most nights uh because they see my enthusiasm for oh this guy likes this music who else like it's 2019 and people are talking about i don't know uh, Katy Perry or Billie Eilish and uh, you know no one's talking about Bon Jovi or and so I Oh, oh, I'm trying you know that's how out of the loop I am I'm trying to come up with, I know <laughs> I mean, Billie I, Eilish
1: no, I love her don't get me wrong I feel yeah Billie Eilish Or
0: no, you know like she you know, she's guys. in the news because mm-hmm. Jimmy Kimmel asked her about do you know who Van she didn't Halen know who Van is Hale,
1: yeah.
0: she was like who know. which killed me oh my god uh, but I get it uh, yeah. uh, you know uh, just like when I my girlfriend asked me about do I know who sang this song and she'll say it was Diplo I'm like who's that Really, uh, and he's like the hottest.
1: Uh, he's been around a minute, but uh, yeah.
0: But well, like when I was uh, doing roast battle, and and uh, one night in the crowd, Tyler the Creator was uh, in the room, and uh, you know he's like the biggest rapper going right now, and uh, I had no idea who he was. Oh, no kidding. And he liked it so much that I didn't know who he was, he put me in his cartoon. Uh,
1: oh, that Jellies thing you Yeah. Take. That's so, really cool.
0: But I think he dug, okay, this guy's clueless. Like, I have the number <laughs> one album in the country. He doesn't yeah. know who I am. Uh, right. I like this guy. Awesome. Uh, so uh, I th- I think it, it took me probably 12 years to go, talk about what you like, and the crowd will, you know, they want to see you being you, not... Me joke like if I joked about Katy Perry or Billie Eilish, it wouldn't be real. Oh,
1: you have to be authentic. You really so. can't. Um, <laughs> you can't fake it. You know, it has to be personal. It has to mean something to you. I think you know. Oh yeah, and at, yeah.
0: It, it's just if weird. not,
1: it's just your I mean,
0: it's just fake.
1: It, yeah, and it it comes across. I mean, there's a lot of I think stand-ups who do that who maybe don't understand that, and they just try to tell a good joke and write a good joke, but it also has to be personal and it right. has to be you and and the character you do on stage is is you but it's you exemplified it's you sure it is you know most your most extreme kind of thing
0: yeah i mean so. like i see uh certain comics trying to act like rogan or diaz on stage you know like the yeah you know, a little louder and abrasive and it's like dude this isn't you like no. you're like the quietest guy i know yeah or a girl, you know, some girls who say, okay, I can act you, like Joey Diaz. Yeah, Good you luck. can be
1: inspired, but you have to um, make it ab- about what you want to talk about. I mean, I've definitely been inspired. I mean, I was inspired by Roseanne, even though it's, you know, she's kind of gone off a little bit. Well, she went off the deep end. Shit, a little bit.
0: I thought uh, marrying Tom Arnold was the worst I thing you know. could do. Oh,
1: God, she really uh, but no, she was one of my earliest inspirations. And I always also loved the, the really wackier ones, like, uh, you know, Judy Tenuta. Right. <laughs> oh yeah. She's and, great. And Bobcat Goldthwaite. I loved, I just liked that. Kinnison. even, I liked the ones that were doing a character, but it wasn't, it was, it still felt grounded in, in reality. It felt like just something goofy they did one time that they kind of developed into this character. And I always liked that. And so it's, I don't know, I always felt like my act wasn't necessarily that right. extreme. It still was me, but it kind it really wasn't. I don't really swear that much or I'm not really that dirty in real life. Sometimes I am. So of course. I drink, I definitely could drop a few F-bombs, but it wasn't, you know, I'd get up and talk about sex all the time or, yeah, just very out there. I mean, in life, I'm kind of introverted and, sure, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm not confrontational at all so
0: i think most comics are introverted i mean uh you know i'm certainly not i'm pretty like i don't know if aggressive is the right word but semi-loud on stage and like off stage i just want to watch hockey games and like yeah. oh, go to a kiss concert i just and... want to
1: sit and write with my cat on my lap. yeah really i do i just kind of like oh, i'll just stay i've got to force myself now to get out more and you know come hang out at the store again oh you know, it's it's uh come i, I watch always all you guys
0: the store get up again. Your get name's again. on the wall. <laughs>
1: He's on the wall. Who knows? I don't know. I'd have to really practice somewhere else first.
0: Yeah, I mean it's tough. Yeah. I think Rogan said it best. It's like you can't do new jokes at the store. Like it's like You know the, you can't. The standards It's just like You got to do the greatest hits, and
1: uh, he's confrontational. He's a person that isn't afraid to.
0: Oh, I love it! I know. I was
1: there that night. That uh, him and um, the Mencia. mm -hmm, I was actually scheduled to go on right after Kirk Fox.
0: Well, let's get into that. That's a good story to end on because it's such an iconic night. Let me just make sure we're still recording. Uh, I don't have an engineer here. Okay, we're good. Uh, That's an iconic night, and. Really, comedy history. It really uh, is, I know. Because uh, you know, I was explaining uh, to someone who Freddie Soto was, because uh, mm-hmm. it kind of leans into uh, that night. Because you know, Mencia was well known for uh, taking a lot of Freddie's act, lot of act um, yeah. among other people's. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, Joe was probably the only one. With the balls to uh, go up there, and you know, Mincia ran with a, a posse of kind of big dudes too, as uh, yeah. his uh, underlings. So, uh, I don't think anyone outside of maybe Joe or Don Barris was, you know, big enough to uh, just go on stage. So, what was the vibe in that room like? Because uh, the I, video doesn't do it justice. No,
1: it just came out of nowhere. I mean, I was in the back uh, because like i said that was around what
0: 2010 uh i want to say it was a little earlier than that but yeah you know probably between 2008 and 2010
1: somewhere around there yeah when i was um i was getting spots after joe
0: let me look that up while you talk
1: yeah and so when um i followed joe i have to watch him because it it wouldn't be the kind of thing where I felt like I could go up cold without knowing what he just did to the crowd. You know what I mean? You got to watch him and know and get that for me anyway. I know other people, everyone's different, but I always had to watch him first and then kind of see where everyone was at just to get the vibe of the room. And he was doing great. I always loved watching Joe. Um, and so then, yeah, he was bringing up Kirk Fox and it just kind of came out of nowhere. And he's like this next guy, Uh, writes for Carlos Menstelia. And I guess Carlos had been (laughs) in the back, heard him say that, and just like rushed the stage and kind of started shouting at him from the audience. And I think Kirk had started to make his way to the stage or he might've even been on it. I don't even remember. And But yeah, then they just started to get into this verbal battle and it went on and on and on and you're like whoa <laughs> 2007 like, it was
0: 2007
1: okay so it was it was not it was quite a while ago yeah it was um it was pretty wild
0: in Shafir uh guy I think you know he's like no you you stole my joke uh, yes
1: yes yes, that's right and
0: then uh you know and of course later on in the video I think Brian Redband who who was redband really was taken, uh yeah. you know if redband hadn't been the technological savant he is uh, and started filming that it's just a night you had to be in the room
1: yeah exactly because otherwise 2007 i think everyone was still using blackberries then did not really video things <laughs> you i don't know
0: how red band had a full camera <laughs> he setup. always
1: walked around with one he did brian right when, you know he's kind of just following joe i think that's when he was just still i don't know when he started working with him but yeah he was always carrying around one of those you know um 24p cameras. <laughs>
0: <laughs> fairly large by yeah. today's standard.
1: Yes, he was always carrying around one of those.
0: So, I uh, I mean that night uh you know you know that almost some would say started the store's uh you know dip. Yeah. Uh because uh you know uh, depending on who you believe uh you know Mitzi or Tommy or both. Or yeah, and uh, Polly
1: I guess had a you know had, had it all so yeah that uh, everyone took sides i think against, uh, uh joe and told him to to not come back i remember being pretty upset about that actually i mean like i was like you guys joe is the whole reason we get crowds here like what that's i don't think it's a good idea i, I didn't think it was a good idea at all
0: well i think he was uh, more or less told hey you got to apologize to carlos which and, uh, which shows you how wacky this business is i think they were both with uh, the same agency and uh, you know i might be getting some of the facts wrong or uh, blurry but uh even the agency was like hey you got to apologize to him Why? and it's like this guy's a joke thief and it still is to this day yeah uh you know Joe's. Spe- you know joe's you know normally when you say someone's a comics comic it's it's the kiss of death because it's like oh the comics love him but the industry doesn't joe's like a joke? Lit- yeah, Well, I mean, like, I'm told sometimes I'm a comics comic. Okay. You know, and it's great that, you know, other comics like you, but, you know, the industry hasn't exactly, uh, yeah. you know, glommed on to me. Joe's, like, a successful comics comic. He is. Like, speaking up Very for the... Very much.
1: He has a big following. And,
0: you know, he doesn't have to speak up for the little guy, but he does. And that night he was speaking up, basically, for his friend Ari. All of our friends Ari, but, like... Yes. Uh, and you know not many big name comics would ah, i don't need to stick up for my friend i'm i'm already successful oh, no i was
1: totally team joe on that absolutely all the way and yeah
0: but then you know that you know joe was banned or whatever you want to safe in the store and uh you know the store just kind of it <laughs> instantly took, a dip after, took a dip for
1: sure it really did you yeah it, i remember going there maybe the following week or whatever and just feeling like crickets you know being like what have you guys done that was not i mean yeah, I, I don't know. I don't disagree with him saying that. He was, you know, making a joke and it wasn't, I don't think it was, Carlos was the one who just got fired up and so upset and it was like, he kind of overreacted, I felt, in a way that, yeah, okay, that's not the nicest thing to say, but it's also not the worst thing in the world to say. He didn't, you know, right? you know what I mean? It's not the worst thing in the world to say.
0: The only thing I was impressed by Carlos was he stayed on stage because uh, yeah, I, you know. He, I mean,
1: it's like why are you picking a fight with Joe Rogan? Have you seen him with his shirt off? Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, come on.
0: Joe is someone I will agree with, <laughs> even if I disagree with him. I would uh,
1: not pick a fight with Joe Rogan. <laughs> like,
0: well, yeah, I think he's like almost like oh, I'm certainly not comparing joke stealing to murder, but like I believe OJ has told himself so many times I didn't kill two people that he he actually believes it. Oh yeah. Uh, And I think Carlos uh, has told himself and has had his posse of of close friends if he has any you're not a joke thief that he believes that what he's doing is not wrong.
1: I think so too. I think well you know not to disparage uh, Robin Williams but he was also kind of known for that as well. I remember um, when I first moved to LA um I did extra work on Father's Day, uh, that movie he did with Billy Crystal, and there was a big crowd scene, and I was in the crowd scene, and um, in the middle of it, during a break in filming, Robin started to do some stand-up, and uh, he did one joke that was a comedian I knew from New York at the time, this uh, comedian, word for word, and it was sort of like, oh, huh, okay, that's interesting, because I would have been the only one in the audience who knew that comedian's joke, and I knew it wasn't just like, Sometimes there's a coincidence where people have the same premise. Sure. But I was like, huh, okay. That for sure was not, that was, you know, someone else's joke. And then, um, the one time Mitzi had me headlining La Jolla. Um, I was on stage. I was finishing up my set and there was a rumbling in the back. And, uh, I kind of knew someone had done a pop in and right. I turned to Lou Brockman, piano player. Uh, legendary. Said, oh, Lou! Right. Brockman. Right. I said, Lou, uh, so do we have any uh, special guests? And he said, yeah, Robin Williams is here. And I'm like, <laughs> and everyone just was like, wants, and so I, I brought him on stage and he had been in the back during the last, maybe 20 minutes of my set. And uh, when he went up, he started doing riffs on all of my material. right? And it was sort of like, it wasn't intentional. He was doing it because he was listening and he was enjoying it. And he was kind of taking what I was doing, talking about female orgasms and, right. you know, cheating men or whatever. And he was spinning it. And sometimes he'd throw a punchline in there. That was c- the exact punchline I just did, but it was because he did it. It was like a spin on it. So like I said, right. I think there's, a consciousness that goes into it, and an unconsciousness. And like I say, once you put ideas in the world, the universe oh, sure. kind of puts them up for grabs. So there are people who get the same idea for the same premise, sometimes even the same joke. But right, like I say, there's there's a way there's a way to do it that's you know conscious and you know it's like consciously unconscious. I think you know. Oh sure. That he was Carlos and and maybe even Robin to an extent was doing like you hear it and you love it so much, you kind of want to take it on and go, okay, let me spin on this premise. But then you don't realize that you're actually doing the same, you know, material you saw someone else do. And you kind of, yeah, you can be inspired by other people's premises, but you also have to, you know, let people have their own stuff.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a, you know, I know Robin was, uh, let's just say borrowed liberally from Stephen pearl
1: yes steve pearl who uh for sure you know
0: just sucks because steve's uh, still doing comedy and i yeah. think in the uh Didn't northern he california end up paying
1: him for all his stuff or they did they settle I, or i thought
0: i i think he that. paid some people for yeah. their jokes uh, i mean he would basically just say here's 100 bucks i'm taking your joke yeah or whatever the amount was uh which some may say is uh unethical you know <laughs> ask permission first, but uh, and then okay. there's parallel thinking, which uh, sure, um, you know, if it's a uh, you know like Trump jokes or uh, if it's a similar topic, it's going to uh, have a limited
1: kind you know, of Harvey
0: comic. Weinstein. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Every every maybe not every comic, but like a lot of comics have Harvey Weinstein jokes. Uh, you know, that's probably falls more in line with parallel thinking, just because it's you know such a big topic. Uh, but You're going to have
1: overlap. obviously. Yeah. yeah.
0: And, and mm-hmm. it, mainly political jokes, just because if you do those type of jokes or, you know, school shoot, I mean, I've heard a lot of very similar jokes about school shootings. Sure. You know, you'd think, well, who's joking about school shootings, but, uh,
1: no, because it's a, a thing that's out there. And I think female comedians have that too. Yeah. I think I remember, um, Chelsea, Handler and I had a similar premise at one point and I talked to her about it. And I think, I was kind of like, you know, that's sort of my exact same thing. And I don't think she did it on purpose, but I was like, kind of, I've kind of been, you know, doing that one. I noticed you just started doing that. And she, I think she stopped doing it. I don't remember if she did or not, but it was sort of like, yeah, we, it's just, I I, like, you don't necessarily do it on purpose. Sometimes it happens.
0: And sometimes you do.
1: Sometimes you do. Sometimes people do.
0: But in fairness to the big headliners, I've also seen, uh, they're openers at, you know, open mics or, you know, shitty book shows at a bar and they'll hear a, a funny joke and they'll tell it to the headliners that they wrote it for the headliner. So, yeah. you know, th- sometimes the headliner doesn't know uh, that they're getting a stolen premise or joke.
1: Yes. Oh, um, you know, because I think that a lot of them have spies. I remember one time Rob Schneider, in fact, he had that TV show, Men Behaving Badly. One day I was just washing dishes in the kitchen And I started to hear this joke. I'm like, sounds familiar. I used to have this joke about muffins and, you know, just about how like attractiveness and how, you know, you're not going to, you're going to, you're not going to pick the pockmarked acne scarred, emotionally bruised muffin. You're going to pick the sweet stacked muffin, you know, and it was word for word on the, it was like a whole thing. And so I think a lot of times they would have spies. So I don't think necessarily Rob knew that that joke was, not right. written by his writer. Same thing with that movie. Um, oh God, was it meet the parents uh, where they're like the, the main character is like, Oh, I'm from a farm in Detroit. I'm like, I do not know you had farms in Detroit. Like right. seriously, I'm from a farm in Detroit. It used to be like one of my main things. So I feel like either that's super coincidental or somebody was, you know, heard that and thought, well, that's a good joke to put in. You know what I mean? And there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. No, you can't because you don't want to be blackballed or told that you're, uh, you know, you just have to go, okay, well, there goes that one.
0: Well, sometimes you got to stick up for yourself. You know, it's. I guess it really is a case-by-case basis uh, because there was, uh, you know, I wrote on the Alec Baldwin roast for Dr. Kim this year, and uh, I gave him... uh, a joke that uh, i know where i wrote it Uh, you know it was it was a joke about an ex-girlfriend because we were roast battling each other which is a major mistake to roast battle your girlfriend because you know (laughs) (laughs) i did it twice to current girlfriends a month later we broke up both times well not on purpose it's just all i'm around
1: yeah i want me too. that's yeah for sure uh, back in the day i would yeah
0: i'm not around uh 50 year old accountants no uh, or uh, you know 40 year old uh, school teachers uh, yeah so uh you know my last four girlfriends have, have been comics and, your
1: girlfriend
0: now is a comic uh she's more of a writer she does okay. ucb uh, oh cool and uh she writes and produces shows uh for uh i don't want to say the guy's name because then people hit her up to get her scripts to this guy but uh, uh You know, you tell people you write for...
1: No, you can't. And
0: then it's, it's, hey, Earl, can you give Chandler... Oh, my God, yeah, no. uh, But I had someone from New York who I'm dear friends with go, hey, you know, that that joke you gave Dr. Ken about, uh, uh, you know, Caroline Ray, uh, who was on the dais as Mm -hmm. well, uh, that's my joke. And I'm like, "Uh, no, I wrote that joke in 2015. I was literally sitting where you are on the couch... Uh, And it was That was parallel thinking I mean we literally yeah, uh, it r- Wrote the exact Word for word the same joke mm. Uh, And it's a You know it was just kind of making fun of And Carolyn Ray's great uh, But you know it's a roast So you know uh, Dr. Ken uh, She was a late addition to the roast Because I believe uh, The Will and Grace Deborah Messing had backed mm. out at the oh, last okay. minute so they got Carolyn to uh, not necessarily fill her place, but a spot on the dais. So yeah, we had to write jokes on her very fast. So I was like, well, I didn't use that joke against my ex. Uh, you know, it kind of fits because they kind of look alike. Uh, and then you know, the person from New York was like, "What, well, Earl? You know, I love you, but that's my joke." I'm like, "Well, this is when I wrote it. This is why I wrote it." And and you know, she understood that two people can write the same sure. word for word joke oh would,
1: absolutely like yeah
0: cuz she showed me a clip of her her version of the joke which was and it was like oh yeah i mean uh, you know i'm sorry but you know uh, so it was unintentional it's on unintentional. Uh, on both of our parts i guess but you know in some cases i've seen uh, you know i think when you get to a Mencia level you're like i'm untouchable right And then it's funny that the South Park episode, I think, took him down.
1: Oh, that's right. Almost more than the Rogan.
0: uh, Yeah. Because if you look at the Rogan uh, episode or video episode, I guess it was an episode. (laughs) uh, Incidents. Call it several things. uh, It didn't really take him. Like it exposed him for being a fraud. But
1: he didn't. Yeah, it didn't take him down at all. He just was kind of
0: emboldened almost yeah. to go. Oh, I just took on Rogan and his crew. I'm I'm invincible. Right. Uh, the comedy store chose and me. The, and
1: the comedy store sided with him.
0: Gersh Agency chose me. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, the you know, those South Park guys, they can take take you down in one notch. Uh, you them. know, they did the. Uh, I forget. It was like something about carlos mencia stuck so it was like repeated over and over on the episode and then people were like oh yeah he's not so
1: i remember that yeah god that was
0: and then joe came back and to the store and uh you know which all you know we come full circle he's
1: back now oh yeah well it started
0: with tommy being let go yeah uh i'm not sure who reached out to joe uh, but someone did because I don't believe Joe, and and I don't certainly don't want to speak for him out of fear for getting my ass kicked. Uh, no, I know. Uh, I, I I don't believe Joe would have ever come back if Tommy were still the uh,
1: probably not the
0: talent coordinator.
1: Yeah, uh, what is he doing now, Tommy?
0: Well, he was uh, giving advice for five dollars at an open mic on Highland. Uh, yeah, people would literally. Uh, uh, it it was literally an open mic, like this was not a booked show, and he would give feedback. I think for five bucks or something. What? Uh, and then, uh, you know, he. Uh, mm. I, wow, I Hollywood sure. is brutal. It's. Tommy. I mean, here's a guy at you know right. Adam Iguod uh, was recently named uh, I think one of the top forty most powerful people in comedy. No kidding. Uh, right. So that could have been Tommy. Like you know, it's a it's a. And I think at the store specifically it's definitely uh you know there in the cellar are probably the top two clubs in the country it's, yeah, yeah you know, that's what Tommy could have had if he just
1: he well it would sounds have, like uh, Adam's process is so much more diplomatic and and so much more accessible than Tommy's kind of oh, well, I'm just gonna play favorites for whatever reason that I do,
0: yeah, I mean, the one thing I'll say about Adam uh you know, is he's, he's just honest with you. Like I've seen him, uh, tell people, uh, Hey, what you do isn't for me. Uh, he, he doesn't, and once again, I don't want to speak for him, uh, but he doesn't tell you to not come up there, but he, he kind of will maybe subliminally, uh, go ahead. You know, you might be wasting your time here. Uh, but you know, uh, I think even though it probably sucks to hear that for some people, they respect the honesty. Yeah. Like, okay, I'm not going to waste my time up here if I don't have. Uh,
1: well, then again, is, uh, though, I feel like you should never take no for an answer. You know? I oh feel, yeah. I mean, I didn't with Mitzi. I was I was almost not going to showcase for her again, and the second time or the third time, and I went. You know, I did a year's worth of a year and a half worth of Jamie Masada auditions, so.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I think Rob Schneider gave me the best uh, advice, and I think he got it from uh, Steve Martin. Yeah. And he said, become so good, they can't deny you. Yeah. And it sounds like, well, no shit. Right. But, you know, sometimes the best advice is the most simple. Like, you know, someone like Rob Schneider, you know, not only been a star of movies, TV, stand-up now, he sells out everywhere, uh, you know, it's like, yeah, I guess if they're following simple advice, maybe I should. Absolutely. So, uh, but care. I I just think Adam is more um, up Yeah. You know, whereas Tommy would, you know, in my case, he was never going to pass me. Uh, and he, but he would string me along like he was. And I just still to this day don't understand that uh, mindset. I would think it would create more problems for you. Yeah. Just have someone, okay, I'm not going to pass this guy, but I'll let him hang out.
1: And like he was saying on your thing, it was that he, you know, he made a lot of enemies that way and it didn't help his career in the aftermath. I mean, $5 <laughs> advice, like, oops, yeah, that doesn't sound
0: like I would say when Adam leaves the store, and oh, Jesus, I hope it's not anytime soon. Yeah. Uh, he'll be set up by every comic uh up there we'll go i'll have him produce my s- For sure. special or yeah well aren't even... they
1: doing one now with mike binder and them or... yeah.
0: yeah uh who i'm a, you know every time i see mike binder like he's a pretty legendary comic to me oh my god completely. Just, uh you know i don't talk about stand-up with him i'm like dude you and the hollywood nights was so yeah. funny well i was... loved
1: him in minority report just as an actor yeah no right? he's really he's uh, so good
0: you know that's someone i like i wish younger kids would know who he is just because it's like this is comedy royalty he is, uh, he is and you know he was up at the comedy store the other night because they're doing that showtime yeah uh, and he i think he's producing it i know uh, i'm
1: excited i saw that because jeff scott posts about stuff like that so i saw that out there and i'm like oh that's awesome
0: and he's like i just wish some of the older comics were, were more known to the kids of today uh just because with the, yeah. without Mike Binder, uh, Franklin Ajay, who like I'm a huge oh, fan of, yeah. uh, it just like Franklin Ajay was this black comic who unfortunately was growing up in the same time frame as first Prior and then Eddie Murphy is like oh fuck there can't be three, I think that was the thinking of well dude you're really funny but. Yeah. We already have our funny two we black have, comics. Right, that's kind
1: of the way it was with women, you know. Yeah. Kind
0: of. So you have Roseanne and uh, yeah. Um yeah. So, but it's changing. I think today women seem to be. Uh, you know, you look at them. I don't know if it's the majority of Netflix specials, but certainly a fair amount of them. Eliza and uh,
1: right. Uh,
0: who else? Of course. Now I'm blanking on every other name, <laughs> but uh, I think uh, it's never been a better time to be uh, a I female so. comic.
1: I think so. Definitely a lot better. Or- different than you when know, i was
0: you know you have uh, sarah tiana is, yeah, is one yeah. of the most she's doing uh, great oh she's amazing yeah. uh and uh, uh beth stellan i mean uh, uh there's so many female comics who are doing things uh i know jade Preta is now the new host of the soup uh, oh
1: really like awesome.
0: i would have never have thought you'd see a female host of the soup uh,
1: there, well, aisha hosted the soup for oh that's brief, right a brief amount of time. Uh, yeah, aisha, Tyler.
0: But that seems to be a male, uh, you know, Joel McHale, uh, Greg Kinnear. Joe sure. Joel
1: McHale did it the longest, or yeah. I think. John yeah. Henson John was, Henson. I
0: remember, he was like the OG host, I think. Uh, he was
1: one of them. I thought it was Kinnear, but yeah, I wrote some stuff for John Henson on Wipeout when he was doing, remember Wipeout? When was oh, yeah, big thing? I love I wrote that show. It's the most copy on Wipeout, too,
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> back in uh, the day. I love those wacky shows. Uh, yeah, you know, where people I tend do. to
1: write like game show stuff and you know that. But yeah, we'll see where what what comes next.
0: Who knows, Kelly? I've given up trying to figure out what's coming next. You know, uh, exactly. Being that I'm a 51 year old white semi-average looking male, that's probably the worst category to be in no, in I Hollywood.
1: You got every everything going for you, <laughs> well, except
0: time. <laughs> um, yes, yes. Kelly, I'm like. I haven't been this excited to interview someone because, you know, like I said, like you're like an iconic figure in the L.A. comedy community. I really
1: appreciate that, that but I mean it though. You to say
0: like it, it's like I love
1: that you care. It's it means so much to me. I'm really am very honored.
0: Well, I like uh, you know the, I'm still fascinated by the world of uh, L.A. comedy. Uh, just the people who've been in it and stuck with it. And yeah. like when I saw you uh, at the show the other uh, night, uh, I was like, wow, I got, I got to have her on the podcast. I, I like, love that.
1: It was like the first thing you asked me. i was so, I'm so like, flattered. That's like amazing.
0: Anyone who's 20 years into this business, uh, yeah. it's, it's like, let, let me tell you non-comedy uh, people. Like if you're in comedy in LA for longer than a year, you're in it for the right reasons. Yes. Yeah. If you're in it for the money, you'll quit. Oh, completely. Uh, yeah.
1: No, I've struggled a lot. Oh, I mean. Still, now, again. Yeah. Again, I mean. But it's, you know, I'm not, I mean, I'm still in comedy in the world, but on a different, you know. They used to, I think, believe, I know we're going to wrap it up. but. No, no, I'm not that, rushing
0: you. We're in no rush.
1: That... Uh, that writing and, you know, performing weren't, that, you know, that they weren't, mutu- they were they were mutually exclusive. And I feel like that's changing more and more too. The writers used to used to be like, oh, you're a comic, but you're just a writer. It it was really looked down upon. And that was always my path. And I think that's what led me to leave Jamie Masada in the first place. I always said to him, get me a lit agent, Jamie. Get me a lit agent. That's what I want. I don't want a theatrical agent. I want a lit agent. That's what I want to do. And I finally, when I got one, and that's how I got Hollywood Squares, was through that agent, was, when I, I left, because he, I did that separately of him, because he he wasn't, he, you know, obviously wanted at that time to package people like Harland and Aisha and make an, you know sitcom deal and be like the next, who was the guy who did Tim Allen, um, Rick uh, something?
0: Oh, yes. Uh, oh, God. Uh, Rick Messina? Uh, he came to see me one night at the Canoga Bowl.
1: The Canoga Bowl?
0: <laughs> because Monty Hoffman, rest in peace. Oh, Monty Hoffman. Uh, and you know this is probably 2005ish, and I can't do a Monty Hoffman impression, but he had a pretty, you know, uh, gravelly voice like mine, so I probably could make a shot at it. But he's like, "Do you have an agent?" I'm like, "Of course not." Yeah. <laughs> I'm at the Canoga Bowl. I don't have an agent. So the next week, he brought Rick Messina and uh, his partner, whose name I forget. Messina Baker. It was oh, something Messina. Baker.
1: Yep, yeah, yep, yeah,
0: yep. Yeah. And uh, you know, I didn't bomb, but I, you know, I probably didn't do the best set. Uh, but I'll always, uh, I always—I always
1: froze under pressure.
0: You know, it's weird. Like uh, when I showcased at the store, because uh, I was the first person, along with Candace Thompson, oh, yeah. uh, to be passed by Adam. Uh, I, I first of all, I had a full-blown panic attack upstairs in my oh, bathroom. I can imagine. I was sweating bullets. Uh, I couldn't move. Was, I've been there. I uh, but I've never had one since. It was. Oh uh, good. I think because everyone was telling Adam to pass me. Mm and you know adam going back to his honesty and being up front he's like dude uh i know everyone loves you up here and you know i'm going to showcase you but if you don't do well i can't you know i I can't just pass you because everyone loves you that's a lot of pressure and i'm like yeah yeah no i wouldn't want to be passed any other way uh and uh you know it all worked out yeah i mean you know which is awesome uh but that night i was just the pressure made me better, I guess. You know, of course, I got petrified when I saw Delia walk in and sit down. I'm like, "Oh my god!" Yeah. Like, because everyone was rooting for me. It was like the best feeling in the world. Yes. Like, but it was also the most petrifying. Of I can't bomb in front of Delia or Adam. Or, right. Uh, you know, I'm like, <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, it it uh, it's funny how you know you can either be uh, emboldened by pressure or totally crumble. I know. So and you know.
1: I'm glad that you...
0: We're here. We're, yeah. we're, we're, we're survivors. Doing,
1: we're survivors.
0: I often tell people, and I don't want to speak for you because you're a much better speaker than me. I don't uh, think that's true. Oh, oh, no, I'm telling you it's true. Uh, if I ever do do Rogan's podcast, I'm going to be the dumbest guest he's ever had on, but uh, we'll make it work. Uh, sure. I feel like Rambo in, in the first... I feel like,
1: does he make everyone get high? I feel like if I get high, I don't... I like... You know,
0: well, I've never had a drug in my life. Oh, so you, are you
1: completely sober?
0: Yeah, but I'm not for any like just, medical reason. Just because uh, you don't like it. Well, I, I I've never even tried it. Wouldn't so to. I couldn't even. Uh, yeah. You know, my mom bribed me. Uh, she, long story short, she's because I was the last of five brothers and sisters. I think she wanted to have one purely clean (laughs) baby. Okay. And she just said, if you don't drink till you're 18, I'll I'll get you a car of your choice, Mm -hmm. within reason. Sure. Uh, And uh, she held through on her promise. And uh, I said, well, why start now? Yeah. Although people like Jason Galern are begging me. He's like, dude, you're so funny, but if you smoked weed, you'd be a lot funnier.
1: (laughs) I don't know. Don't let people pressure you, but...
0: I mean, at 51, I'd be a pretty big loser to start smoking weed. I don't
1: know. I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't maybe never say never.
0: I mean, I don't. Uh, uh, I mean, most of my friends uh, smoke weed and, and do other, uh, you know, uh, party, uh,
1: um, you know. Uh, party favors.
0: Substances. Yes. I don't even know what the word is. I'm trying to be cool. i Right. Uh, and I don't I've seen people freebase in front of me and it's like, oh, okay cool, the entertain- yeah, okay. probably the most successful entertainment lawyer I've ever seen or that I've known uh you know, had a problem with the uh the pipe. Uh, Whoa. and he still is one of the top uh, mm. I'm amazed that people can function at such a high level job and I and, can't imagine uh, like do that that no. so uh Kelly. You're gonna to have to spell this out for my fan base. But where can people find you on Twitter?
1: Kelly K Geiger, G E I G E R.
0: And then on Instagram?
1: Um, I think Instagram. I'm Kelly Kurtzall's Geiger. Maybe I'm not sure. That's hard to spell. But I'll, it's. On I'll my, put it
0: in the description. Sure, uh, it's on but, my
1: Twitter. I think. Yeah, um, I don't do a lot of Instagram. I just post photos of my cat for well, people wh- who like cats.
0: I mean, I'm a dog guy, but hey, uh, cats are cool. I
1: mostly do cats. But I, I, because I do um, a lot of, I post my writing stuff on Twitter. So far, I've only published, um, I'd say, well, I've published about five short stories, but three are readable online. The other two are in anthologies. So I'm trying to work my way up to a novel. And, uh, well, see, Knockwood.
0: And can people buy these or like? uh... Uh, They're
1: free online. Okay. For now, yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, when you kept uh, something for sale, let me know.
1: I will. I, I will for sure.
0: When I'm like one a,
1: day, I mean, yeah, soon. My okay. thesis is coming up. I'm going to be working on it in spring, and my thesis is going to be this uh, novel. It's Aliens. It's about aliens who uh, come, I won't even say, because if I yeah, yeah, out don't there in the uh, universe, it's got to be finished first. Mencia might be listening. he might. <laughs> and then you're going to see a movie about uh,
0: illegal aliens. Uh, <laughs> You, you know it'll be and
1: all my idea
0: we'll have to get rogan on the case we, oh again. he would do it joe if you're listening and i'm assuming you're not <laughs> uh you know, you're a little busy to be listening to this uh but you know you throw it out there maybe someone says hey joe they're talking about you yeah uh, you know we might have another he, job yeah, for like you.
1: i've heard he talks about me still he still thinks me uh, you know joe and joey diaz oh Kelly Carson.
0: oh he, they, they're, you know they're amazing you know, with old how school, they,
1: my old friends you know i miss them i miss that world.
0: Well, you know, I would love to see you at the store doing stand up again, and yeah, uh, you know, you know, I'm you know. throwing that out. Yeah, the universe. maybe
1: if it, it it could happen.
0: I'm sure Adam's having a heart attack. Going, Earl, do not send any more comics. No, uh, exactly. But uh, your name's on the wall, and I. Hey, that that's, that's an
1: accomplishment. I think that it stands for itself, and I think I just have so much more to do in life. I didn't want to just stop there, you know. Why well, tell
0: people like it never gets old seeing your name on that no, wall? No, like, I know. Whether you're you, you drive me, by and
1: it's like yeah, yeah. It's I mean, the, until they, the building crumbles in the zombie apocalypse. It's always going to be there.
0: Or the Andaz next door <laughs> turns it into a parking structure, right? Uh, so. Which is my, you know, they look at that store a lot I'm every sure day. Go, they do. Damn, that could hold a couple hundred cars. It really could. <laughs> Hopefully, that doesn't happen. Uh, Kelly, you're the best.
1: You are the best.
0: I'm sorry it took so long to uh, talk to you after uh, near 20 years in comedy. Uh, well, but everything happens for a reason. Uh, you, we're going to be lifelong friends now, and, we are. Uh, so please follow Kelly on Twitter, and uh, if you like cats, go to Instagram. <laughs> and, uh, Real you know, cats, not the musical. Do you get right, right? as hell. Do you get residuals if people watch the Hollywood Squares that you? I uh, used
1: to the last residuals I got. I think we're in a. Uh, 2011. I just checked my WGA actually just to see if I had right. any like hidden checks, and I didn't.
0: And well, Polly Shore's dead. You were in that.
1: You know, I was, but I um for some reason didn't get the SAG contract, so I never got paid for that. So my okay. one and only film role, Polly.
0: Well, watch Polly Shore's dead. You'll see Kelly. And yeah. uh were you in that? uh I know when they did. Of course, I said we were going to end 20 minutes ago. I know. Uh You parted a meter, so I don't want you to get a ticket. Last question: I know a couple of years ago they had a reality show called Minding the Store. Yeah, uh, and they had an episode where they, Polly was, I think, trying to get hot chicks to do comedy. But I remember he had a a legit female comic on as like a judge or a mentor. You weren't that girl. Wasn't were you? me. No. Okay. Mm-mm. Well, that's a good way to end the podcast on a question that went askew.
1: Well. No, Polly was great to me. Polly used to take me out on the road. He was one of the few guys that did, you know, And so, yeah, the whole battle with Rogan aside, I definitely um appreciated all that Polly did for me. put me in his movie. and oh, uh,
0: well, Polly doesn't get the credit. you know, he's he's in that
1: he's very supportive of other comics. you know oh, yeah. and he can be. I mean, you know, <laughs> my favorite Polly story is the uh, and and then we can end is it real quick. I was opening for him in La Jolla, and uh, we would have dinner at the uh, Chinese place across the street. And so we'd had dinner that Friday. And then the following Saturday, we met again for dinner. And uh, I turned to the, the blonde next to him on uh, the Saturday. And I was like, Oh, nice to see you again. He's, like you know, give me like the cutoffs I it wasn't the same girl, but uh-huh. of course, you know, he has a type. So yeah. he was so mad at me no. that I made the mistake. And, said it was the same girl and it wasn't
0: sometimes comedy does not pay in dollars <laughs> and if you want to know what polly's type is just look at the first album cover for the band poison where they look like four chicks uh, yes. that was Polly. god bless paul that's right uh
1: and joe rogan
0: oh i mean there's so many people to thank for the store you know uh, for uh, sure rogan uh joey diaz uh adam Polly. uh you know Jeff Ross and Brian Moses for uh, you know roast battle was really the first show to uh, help the store's resurgence. Uh, you know because that was a yeah you know a, a show kind of for millennials like you know that edgy type of humor and and that coincided with Joe coming back so uh, you know and Jeff Ross got it on TV which made it even bigger that's and, amazing and Brian Moses has literally hosted it every week for six years. Which is crazy. Because you know in L.A. comedy, uh, even Dublin's was just around for a year or two.
1: Oh, Dublin's. God, uh, I'd play Dublin's.
0: But it was hot for like two years. Uh, it, it was. And then you had the Friars Club you in had Beverly Hills. you the Martini Hills. Lounge. It uh, was, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, You know, shows usually burn out in like two years max. Roast Battle is still, every Tuesday at the store, completely sold out. Uh, You know, I'm not sure if it's being brought back by Comedy Central, but, uh, you know, who knows. That's amazing. Uh, Kelly Kirsten
1: Earl Skakel